which finally lends, leads us to really center in on the problem. So God, us, and now the problem. And now we know what the problem is. We're not right, and the whole world isn't right. Individually messed up, we're messed up, and historically and globally, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And the result of all of this, the ultimate problem is what the Bible calls, quote, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And don't take my word for this. For this, look at verse nine. What does the gospel ultimately save us from? Verse nine, the last few words. We're saved by him from the wrath of God. That's the ultimate problem, that we deserve the wrath of God because of this. And I know at this point in hearing this, you might be hearing this and thinking, okay, we just talked about God being a God of love. How can a God of love have wrath? It seems contradictory. And a lot of people just stop there and they think that's the case, but I just encourage you to stick with me. In fact, if God is a God of love, what I want you to see is him having wrath to the way things are, the way we are, is the only thing that actually makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. He has to have wrath when we're sinful like this, when the world is sinful like this. And if we had more time, I'd love to dig more into it. That could be a whole sermon in itself. But, but in brief, for you to feel that and to understand what I mean, a really short analogy will suffice. Imagine this. Imagine that you were watching someone that you loved, you loved this person, you were watching someone that you loved be attacked and abused. I mean, you were watching it happen. You loved that person and you were watching them be hurt and attacked and abused. Well, now ask yourself this. How would you respond to such a situation? Because you love that person, you're watching them get attacked, how would you respond to such a situation? Would you feel, yeah, would you feel indifferent? No. Would you just say, well, I'm a loving person, so it doesn't matter? Of course not, that'd be wrong. Instead, the only proper feeling you would have because you love that person is a feeling of, that's not right. An anger, wrath, if you will, and in very brief, that's the wrath of God. He's good and perfect and wonderful and glorious while we're the ones in his world who are sinful and messing it up and ungodly. Yes, we might not be, quote, as bad as we could be by the grace of God, but he sees all of our thoughts, all of our actions, the ways we speak to people, the ways, all of our wishes and, and desires. And because he loves this world and he loves his own glory, while we care nothing about him, he has to have wrath. It's the only right, loving response, a that's not right sort of anger. So that's what sets the stage for the gospel. God really exists. He's totally good. Well, we really exist, but we are not totally good, and something's wrong. Sin is a parasite in God's world, and let's be honest, we're also parasites in our sin, in God's good world, ignoring him on our own, not caring much about his goodness, and so God has a good and right wrath. So that's point one. It's our longest point, so stick with me. That's point one, God, us, and the problem. But now the question is, what's the answer to that? What's the answer to that? And if you're tracking, again, we're not just asking, what's the answer for me personally? 
That's true. We need to know how I can personally have a solution to my problem, but it's bigger than that. We're also asking, what's the answer to this historical and global and universal problem? I mean, what's the answer to everything being falling, fallen and being so messed up? Which brings us to our second point, which again, we're centering in now on Jesus Christ and what he did and why he's the solution. So start with Jesus Christ himself. Now in Romans 5, you can notice in verses 1 and 11, we're going to read them, what Jesus is called by Paul. Let's read verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now skim to verse 11, our last verse. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is even helpful as we consider the gospel and what Jesus did, because these terms matter that Paul decides to use. First, he's the Christ, because he is the Messiah who God promised would come and deal with this problem. And this is why that whole big Old Testament comes into play. Because this has been a problem ever since Genesis 3 and what God promised throughout the whole Old Testament is he'd send a king, a Messiah, who'd come and deal with this. The whole Old Testament is God illustrating this problem of sin with his people Israel. But God promised that one day a king would come and bring people back to him. That's the Messiah. That's why Jesus is the Christ. But also notice his name Jesus. You might know this from the Christmas story, right? When the angel tells Joseph to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's just what the name Jesus means. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. So we got the Messiah, Jesus, Yahweh coming to save, and then finally he's the Lord. Right? The Lord just means ruler, absolutely, but it's also the term that God used for himself in the Old Testament. So he's God himself. So the Messiah, the Savior, God himself coming to bring us back. So what did he do? How did, how did God the Messiah, how did Jesus do it? How did the Savior save? Well, if you know anything about Christianity, you know the answer. And the center of it all is that he died. He died. Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He died. He rose. He reigns. He's coming back. But the center of that all is that he died. And now if you're tracking, you might think, that's a little jarring. How is his death the answer for me individually and for the whole world? Maybe you've come to church for many years, have heard of Christianity for many years, and always wondered, how is that really the solution? Well, stick with us. We'll, we'll dig into it. But I want you to see it for yourself first from God's word. Let's read verses six through eight now, and you're going to see that the center of it all is that Christ died. Verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He went to the cross and he died for sinners. That's the solution Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you can also see Paul's point is that we do not deserve the solution. 
There's nothing in us that makes us deserve the solution, but the solution is Christ died for us. So how is that solution? Well, here, brothers and sisters, is where we get to the heart of the gospel. Christ died for us. And look at that word for in verses six and eight. He died for us. The word just means he died on our behalf, right? For, that's what the word for means. But elsewhere throughout the New Testament especially, this is unpacked even more clearly. When the New Testament writers say that Christ died for us, specifically it means that he died in our place. And now we're really at the very, very heart of the gospel. Christ died for his people, meaning in their place, and that's the solution. He took what his people deserved upon himself. And this means, to be clear, that Jesus didn't die just as an example of love. He didn't die just to show he was a loving person or to show just that God loves you. Those are all true. But no, his death did something specifically and historically for his people that changed his people's destiny forever. He did something in his death. And this, what we're talking about here, is what what theologians for hundreds of years have called, quote, the great exchange. The cross, the great exchange. This exchange consists of two things. For Christ's people, first, our sins were put on Jesus Christ. They were exchanged to Jesus Christ. Christ died for the sins of his people. He suffered in the place of their sins. He didn't have any sins. He was suffering for their sins. But then second, the other part of the exchange is then Christ's righteousness. His perfect standard with God is then put on us. So that's the solution. That's what Jesus did. That's the solution because it deals with our ultimate problem. If you're tracking, the problem that creates all other problems, our sinful nature and the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sinful nature. Christ takes that upon himself. I mean, that's why God forsook him, because he took upon himself our sinful nature and the wrath that we deserve. He dies in our place. And so, this means, this is so important, if you trust in Christ and he died for you, it means that it would now be unjust and wrong of God to then punish you for the same sins. Because Jesus really died for them. And the wrath that you deserve is really removed. And not only that, as we said, we're also now counted righteous in Christ. And the biblical word, as you might know, to describe all of this that we've been talking about is that word justified. Seen in our text multiple times. Let's just read verse one again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, Christ died, brothers and sisters, Christ died for us and so we are justified. And that means we're forgiven and we're counted righteous. We are just or right in God's sight and that's the solution for us. Because of what Jesus did, if we trust in him, we're right with God. Our sin has been dealt with forever. We're forgiven now, we're on God's side now and we're promised to be made perfect forever, all because of what Jesus did. So that's the individual solution. That's the individual solution. That's the way to be saved and right with God. But remember, this is also a global and historical problem. 
So how does Jesus' death answer that? Well, if you remember, the problem historically is there was a time when everything got so messed up. In history, with the fall, everything got so messed up. Sin entered the world. But now, as a result of Jesus' death, look with me in verse two. Let's read verse two again. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, to be honest, this historical problem is answered elsewhere a little more clearly, but Paul refers to it here, there at the end of verse two, when he says, we rejoice in the hope, meaning we're expectation, we're looking toward the hope of the glory of God. Paul's talking about a time here where God is finally gonna make everything right again, where sin and sorrow will be dealt with completely, eradicated from this earth, and God's glory will shine with crystal clarity in this world like it was meant to be. That's our hope. And so the question is, why can this happen? Why is that day coming? Because God sent his son to come and die for sin, the problem of the world. And Christ's death for sin was the turning point of all of history. Or think of it this way. Before Jesus died for sin, there was no answer to the world's messed upness, to the sin that was plaguing the world. But now sin, the main problem that's plaguing the entire world, has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. And so that means for individual people, For individual people, we can find forgiveness and be counted righteous in Christ, but that also means globally and historically, the thing that has messed everything up has been dealt with. And so the risen Christ now has promised that he's gonna come back and there's gonna be a day where he's gonna make everything right again and the sin that's already been defeated is gonna be totally eradicated from the universe. So Christ's death is the answer for us individually, and for the entire universe. Individually, he died in the place of his people. And for the universe, the one who conquered death has promised that he's gonna come back. He's gonna eradicate that sin once and for all, and everything will be made right again. So now finally, that leads us to our last point. We saw the setting the stage for the gospel, God, us, and the problem. We saw how the Lord Jesus Christ is a solution but now I want us to see the results of what Jesus did, the results that we experience now and forever. And to be honest, this is the majority of our text in Romans 5. There's tons of the results there. If we had more time, I'd love to deal with each one in in, in detail, but let's just skim through, and you'll see these results of the gospel just scattered throughout our passage. So look at your Bible. In verse one, one of the results of the gospel is we have peace with God. We're on God's side because of what Jesus did. That makes sense. Verse two, we have access into grace in which we stand. We have access to this grace. Verses three through five is a beautiful passage. It, It teaches that now because of this gospel, our suffering, God uses our suffering to build our character, to increase our hope, to increase our sensibility to the love of God through the Holy Spirit. So then they'll continue with me in verses nine through 10. Here, I encourage you to read on your own this, even this afternoon, but what Paul's saying is if, we've, if Jesus died for us while we're enemies, now we can have assurance that in the future, on the day of judgment, when God comes back, we're gonna be okay. We can have assurance 
because we trust in what Jesus did. And then verse 11, notice the final result in our text is that we, quote, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have unique joy in God. And so even just hearing those scattered, I hope this is encouraging you to really love and embrace this gospel more and more. You see all these results of, of grace, of hope, of love, of joy, of assurance. But there's one last thing that encompasses all of those things. And to be honest, if you leave here this morning wondering what the gospel is about and the results of the gospel and what the gospel really means for you and for the whole world, I hope you remember this one word that we're about to talk about. It's one word. And it's also the reason why I chose Romans 5 for our text. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about the gospel. But I think this word we're about to talk about sums it all up most clearly for us and for the whole world. And it's the word that you see show up three times in verses 10 and 11. If you look down at your Bibles, there's a word that shows up there three times, and it's the word reconciled, or reconciliation. Reconciled, reconciliation. And that, brothers and sisters, in a nutshell, is what the gospel is all about. Reconciliation with God. Being reconciled to God. And that's why all these results exist. And to explain this, if you're a little confused, to explain this, and why that word is perhaps the most summative and important, think about everything else we've talked about this morning, talking about the gospel. I mean, God, the problem, and us, and then Jesus and what he did, and the solution and the results of the gospel. All of that, that's the gospel. How can that be summed up? Well, like this. God is good and glorious and beautiful and we've been separated from him. And so what did Jesus Christ do? He brought us back to him. And why do we have all these results of the gospel? Because now we're back in a right relationship with him. With the God of peace, the God of love, the God of joy, the God of hope. And so this is the gospel in a nutshell. It's being reconciled back to God. It's about a bunch of people, individual people being reconciled back to God and it's about a whole universe that has fallen away being reconciled back to God. And that's why Paul ends our passage in verse 11 the way he does. After talking about so much in the gospel, after talking about so many things, he ends with a more than that, Above all, look at verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's the gospel. Through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, sin has been dealt with and now we are reconciled back to God. We are back with God now and forevermore. So that, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. It's the message, the news of Christianity for us and for the whole world. But now as we start to conclude, there's obviously just one more question we have to ask. And it's an important one. And the question is, okay, this is the news, but then how do you and I get in on this? 
How do we get in on this? How do we embrace this solution that's been offered for us? How do we get saved? And it's a critical question because I wanna make clear about this gospel message, about this good news. It is a message about individuals in the whole world, but it's also a message that demands a response. A response of repentance and faith. And you can see this scattered throughout our text. Notice again, just verses one and two. This is gonna be the last time we're gonna read them. Verses one and two. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So there's justification, there's grace, but how? By faith. It's mentioned in both those verses So the gospel and this reconciliation comes by turning away from yourself and recognizing you're sinful on your own. That's repentance and by turning to God and by trusting in Christ. By believing this gospel and banking your life on this gospel because you believe it to be true. And so the question that we each have to ask after hearing all this is do I believe this gospel? Do I believe this gospel? And the question isn't though, do you just believe facts about the gospel? Because to be honest, I believe the demons believe facts about the gospel. A lot of people understand the facts about the gospel. The real question is, do I trust this Jesus in the gospel? Do I trust Jesus for all this? Because that, brothers and sisters, is what the New Testament really means when it talks about faith. It means looking at Jesus in this gospel and saying, Yes, I need this. I admit I'm a sinner on my own. I am separated from God on my own. I deserve the wrath of God on my own. But I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I believe that this actually happened and I trust you in this gospel. That's faith, trusting in Christ. So do you believe this gospel and trust the Christ of this gospel? It's the best thing in the world to believe this, to know this to be true. It's the best thing in the world to know, to have assurance that you're reconciled with the living God. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus Christ did. But if you are here this morning, and maybe after hearing all this, you just wonder and you think, maybe I don't trust in Jesus. Maybe I don't believe this. We are glad you're here, but I do want to warn you The Bible is clear that apart from Jesus, apart from embracing this solution, you are, quote, still in your sin. So the Bible says, and all that means, if you're tracking, all that means is that you're without him as your solution, as your solution to your sin. And instead of him taking your sins upon himself, you'll have to rightly take them. that's That's the reason why hell exists. But even this morning, You can come to Christ. You can trust Jesus in this gospel, and I really hope you do. And so that, brothers and sisters, is the center of our faith, this gospel. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and what he's done for the whole entire universe. So if we want to be a Jesus-centered church, we must be a people who love and trust this gospel. And may we remember, as we said at the very beginning, this gospel isn't something we just believe to get into Christianity. 
It's what, it's what we must remember and believe every single day that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose, he's alive right now, he's reigning over the world, and one day he's gonna come back and make everything right again, and we're a people who trust him. Let's be people who keep loving and trusting Jesus in this gospel. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, I beg of you, for myself and everyone here this morning, that these may not be mere words, that your gospel, Lord, may not be a mere message, but that we all may truly embrace you in our hearts. We know, Lord, on our own, we are so sinful, we're so inconsistent, we're so weak, we're so tired, so broken, we're so selfish, But Lord, you know all that, and yet you still came and died. And you're alive, and you're coming back one day. So I pray for myself and everyone here. Help us to keep trusting you. And as we just said, Jesus, if there is anyone here this morning who just thinks they don't know you or hasn't embraced you as their savior, may they do that even right now. By your spirit, help them to embrace you. But Jesus, as your church, help us to love this gospel. Help us to keep speaking the gospel to ourselves and to one another. And then, of course, Jesus, we live in a world and so many people don't know and embrace this gospel. So help us to go out and share this with the world. We love you, Jesus. We need you now and forever. We're so thankful for you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.